Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. We're following the latest developments in the Donald Trump cases. In the Fulton County, Georgia election interference case, the report prepared by the special purpose grand jury has been unsealed, revealing that jurors recommended charges against Senator Lindsey Graham and other Trump allies who ultimately were not charged. Meanwhile, a judge rejected former Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' bid to transfer his state criminal charges to federal court. And in the classified documents case, special counsel Jack Smith has secured the cooperation of a -a Mar-a-Lago IT worker who is now expected to testify against Trump at trial. In still more news, former Trump advisor Peter Navarro was convicted of contempt of Congress for flouting a January 6th House committee subpoena. Preet Bharara and I discuss all that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. So Preet, other news in Georgia, the investigative grand jury's report was finally unsealed completely. And what that consisted of, you know, I was sort of expecting pages of narrative. And instead, we got a list of individuals that the grand jury considered whether there was reason to indict. And we got the votes on each of those possible defendants, not all of whom have been indicted, notably three senators, Lindsey Graham and the two Georgia senators, Republican senators who lost in the the runoff election, were named but did not get full-on votes. What do you make of all of it? So I think it's interesting. People are making a big deal of it. It doesn't really show anything. There was a particular specialized grand jury that had a lot more potential targets and defendants in their sights. What I think it does show is, in fact, Fonnie Willis, at the end of the day, was somewhat selective and discriminating in a good way as to who would be indicted and who would not, who they would seek an indictment against, notwithstanding what the special grand jury found. It's still a a large indictment with a lot of people, 19, but there was the option or the opportunity and indeed the recommendation from a separate preliminary grand jury to indict a lot more folks, including those uh, three senators that you mentioned. So I think it's a testament, although some people are very critical of Fonnie Willis, it's a testament to her restraint perhaps. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it underscores that she did this sort of to steal your line. She did it in the right way for the right reasons. Because, you know, this whole Georgia process, we've talked about how weird it is. Special investigative grand jury, and they're not the grand jury that votes on the indictments. So normally as a prosecutor, I would draft an indictment, take it to the grand jury, present it after they had heard the evidence and ask them to vote on it. And that's not what happened here. The special grand jury investigated, they were not presented with an indictment. So when they voted on different defendants, they were making a decision about whether there was probable cause to move forward with them, a very low standard. When prosecutors draft an indictment and present it to the grand jury for a vote, technically they're only required to have probable cause. But in reality, no prosecutor would present a case where their evidence only met that standard. Prosecutors are focused on whether they have sufficient evidence to convict, to convince a jury defendants are guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And they use that much 
higher standard when they present indictments. I think that's the delta here. Fonnie Willis probably looked at some of these folks who were listed, but who she didn't indict very hard and made a decision, perhaps in the case of the the senators, because there was arguably speech and debate clause immunity. She made a decision for whatever reason that she didn't have enough evidence to go with them. And she acted responsibly. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you can make whatever arguments you want. And some people have about how sprawling and and perhaps overreaching the indictment she did issue or obtain is. But there's no doubt that she didn't go as far as what the preliminary grand jury sort of suggested. And I think you're right to say that I'm I'm sure the speech or debate clause issues played some role in the election not to charge those three senators. But there's also, if you look at the documentation and there's some reporting from the New York Times, that with respect to the case against Lindsey Graham, for example, It might have been undermined by the fact that there were conflicting accounts with respect to the telephone calls he made to a top Georgia official. And, you know, that relates to the strength of the case as well. So, again, there was some discernment here. Whether it was enough for everyone's tastes is is, is an open question. You know, the reality is that as a prosecutor, no matter what you decide to do, you're not going to make everybody happy. So the only thing that you can do is the right thing as you see it. I feel pretty comfortable that that's what happened here. And and I have to confess, I've been a little bit riled at some of the criticism of Fonnie Willis. There is plenty of room to criticize prosecutors and the choices that she makes. I'm a little bit surprised, frankly, by the insistence that all 19 defendants should go to trial on October the 23rd. I think More flexibility might have served her better there. But when it comes down to principles and following the rule of law and whether she's ethical and hardworking and all of those things that she's been criticized for not being, I think that criticism is unfounded. So there are obviously a lot of loose ends left in the Trump investigations, even though there's overlap between Georgia and the special counsel's case in Washington, D.C. And some of those loose ends involve individuals whose names have come up during investigation when the House January 6th committee was investigating, but who don't seem to play a role in either the federal or the state indictment. One of those names that I have persistent questions about is Cleta Mitchell, one of the lawyers who was pushing the big lie and who seems like she would have been a logical inclusion in in one or both of these cases. Of course, in the federal case, we have unnamed, unindicted co-conspirators, not named, indicted co-conspirators like we have in Georgia. Perhaps the reason is that she simply didn't have any sort of a tie to Georgia. I'm not clear on how much of a role she might have played there specifically. But I think it is worth noting in passing that she does not seem to be involved, even though she's still out in the public square pushing this sort of notion of rampant voter fraud. So she doesn't have any appearance that she's a cooperator. Unlike one of the other lawyers, Lynn Wood, who quietly retired and surrendered his license to practice rather than facing bar charges, and who looks to me like he might be a cooperator in one or both cases. Speaking of cooperators, we have in connection with the Mar-a-Lago indictment, word that one target has struck a cooperation deal with a special counsel's office. Mar-a-Lago IT worker, Yusil Tavares, and people may remember There was this exchange in the indictment with respect to someone who's designated as Trump employee. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 